Good morning. How's everybody doing today? I don't know if that's because it's the week of Christmas or not sure what that was. Let's fake it, make it a little better. How's everybody doing today? All right, that makes me feel a little better. It's good to see all of you. Uh, man, I love when we bring the kids up here and um, allow them to participate on Sunday morning for a whole myriad of reasons. I love it. Um, I tried to sit down here uh, like I did in the first gathering because down here you get a front row seat to these kids and you get to watch like the one who is like terrified and, and then the other one, there's, there's always three or four that's like, this is my moment. I'm finally going to make it happen. In the early gathering, we had a, a little girl walk from way over there and came up and sat next to one of the boys and leaned over and tried to give him a kiss, and it was priceless. Like, you're thinking precious. He did not think that. He was looking at his mom and dad out of the corner of his eyes like, is this supposed to be happening? Yeah, it was great. But I love it because um, we don't think that our kids are the future of the church. We think they're the current church. We think they're the present church. And um, I, I just love being able to bring them out here and and let them lead worship, not just sing some songs. And so, uh, parents, thank you so much for having them here this morning. And uh, it's hard for them to get here and be a part of all that we do if you don't bring them. So thank you for doing that. Uh, but also, if you work with our kids' ministry at all, um, we believe that what you're doing matters. And so thank you for doing that. A couple of things, and then we'll jump into this week's message. Um, it's time to sign up for our 21168 prayer week. If you have been attending LifePoint just a short period of time. You may not be familiar with this, but uh, we used to have a core value around here that said that uh, work like it depends on you and pray like it depends on God. We believe that significant spiritual things happen as a result of prayer, and uh, I don't fully understand that. I'll be honest. I really don't understand all the ramifications of prayer, but I know, um, I know that God asked us to pray uh, in Scripture, and I know the one question the disciples asked Jesus was, teach us to pray like you. And so um, I, I think prayer is super important. So three times a year, uh, we take a week and we pray for 168 hours straight. We take an hour each and, um, and we pray for that hour so that somebody at LifePoint is praying around the clock for an entire week. And we need you to sign up for that as you walk out the door. This foyer that's to my left, your right, uh, there are tables set up. And uh, right now you can get a pretty good time slot. Uh, if you wait much longer, you're going to be getting time slots like 2.15 in the morning, and that may be your jam. And if it is, please get out there and take them because our staff typically wait to the very end and sign up to fill in the gaps. And personally, I think that like, you know, the break of noon is like a great time. Um, but, you know, if we get stuck with a 2.30 or 2 o'clock in the morning, we have to do that. So if that's your jam, go do that. We'd love for you to get signed up. Just find a time to pray. Uh, every time we do this, people say that they think it was more beneficial to them than to the, the reasons that they were praying about. And so um, please do that. Um, also, um, we are taking up a Christmas offering. And uh, if you were at the concert the last two nights, you've already heard this. So you can just bear with us. But uh, we're taking up a Christmas offering for the rest of December. Uh, in fact, you can also give it on January 1st, and it'll still count toward this year since that's on a Sunday. Um, and every year we do this. We take up a Christmas offering. We kind of, uh, we, we just encourage you, you're going to buy gifts for people. Uh, why not give your church a gift? Give the Lord a gift through your church. And uh, so we just ask you to pray about and give what the Lord lays on your heart. And every year we have this specified reason that we do it. And a few weeks ago we were talking in staff meeting. We decided we would do half to missions and half to renovating uh, the coffee house. 
And some of you may be like, well, Matt, I, I think you're already doing some renovating in the kids' building, the big room. There's no floor down there. And you may be wondering, it's only two years old. Why are we already renovating that? Turns out that flooring was a manufacturer defect uh, that, that resulted in the flooring doing some goofy stuff. And so that's not costing us anything. The manufacturer's paying for all that to be replaced. So we don't even have to pay for that. We get new flooring in a couple of weeks as a result of, um, you know, some bad flooring or whatever. So uh, that's cool. But we're going to remodel the, we're going to do some renovations in the coffee house. Uh, we utilize that as a ministry training center. And we just want to kind of update and um, LifePoint 56, LP 56, our fifth and sixth graders use that on Wednesday nights. And it's, it's a little bit old and um, distasteful, mundane, boring. So we're going to update a little bit, make it a little more conducive for fifth and sixth graders as well as a place uh, to do some ministry training. So we're going to use half the offering for that. And then we were going to use the other half for, we're just going to pick a, a random missions organization and give them all of it. And then the coolest thing happened and we pivoted, which is kind of a life point thing to make a plan and then change. Uh, but in staff meeting this past Tuesday, Quentin was looking at Facebook. I heard it's because Todd was saying something that was boring and Quentin was reading. I don't know. I, I didn't say that. I just heard it. Uh, but he was reading. And a pastor friend of a pastor friend of ours, uh, pastors of church, I think it's in Tony, I forgot, down in South Alabama. And this past week, uh, they had a fire that completely destroyed their church. And um, we kind of know what that's like. We've had that happen around here. And uh, you probably don't know this, but when that happened to us, there was a church that paid for our deductible on our insurance. It just generously sent us a check. And, and you know, we could have made it without that, but it was very encouraging to know that there was somebody who just kind of cared and understood what we were going through and, and did that. So we want to do the same thing for this church. So just know as you throw money in a bucket for, or you, you take the envelope, says Christmas offering, and as you give that, half of everything that you give uh, this it, it, next year, like week after next, um, we're going to send to them with just an encouraging letter that says, um, we know what it feels like and just know that God has got this under control. And uh, I always think it's a really encouraging thing to be able to do. So uh, just know that's what you're doing. You'll be supporting another church um, in South Alabama. So we look forward to being able to do that and kind of excited about being able to send that to them uh, to maybe make a really bad day seem a little bit better. All right. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into the next sermon in the series called It's Not Too Late. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for our kids. Uh, thank you for um, those who invest in our kids. And Lord, I, I, pray for, um, I pray for this church in South Alabama that uh, I am sure is in all kind of disarray this morning. I pray they would sense your presence and uh, be confident in the fact that you have a plan. Uh, God, I also ask that you give us ears to hear this morning as we open up your word, and that you would... Um, that you would help us to see your word, see something in your word that inspires us to make changes in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. In case you've missed the last few weeks, we kicked off a series three or four weeks ago called It's Not Too Late. And uh, the premise behind this is based on a question that I ask our staff and my life group. Uh, I handed out some pieces of paper and I said, if you could have a conversation with your younger self, what would you say? If you could go back in time, have a conversation with your younger self, what would you say to your younger self, and I had people write them down. I said, no answers are out of bounds. There's no fouls. Just say whatever you want. And one of the most common answers I got was something similar to this. <clears throat> I would tell my younger self to invest in Apple. Uh, that was, that was a, a common answer that I got. 
And, uh, and you know, I thought, well, I'm going to throw that away. And then I got to think, no, I'm not going to throw that away because that's actually a really, really good answer, right? If we could go back in time and talk to our younger selves, truthfully speaking, a lot of us would have a conversation with our younger self about our finances. Uh, a lot of us would go back in time and we would talk about how we spent our money. And so I did a little bit of research and was thinking, what would happen if, we had, if you had invested in Apple, right? I mean, that's kind of a big deal. Um, if you're like me, your, your life revolves around Apple. Uh, you, you know, I have an Apple phone, an Apple iPad, an Apple computer, an Apple desktop computer. I think we got one of those now. Um, I don't have Apple earbuds, uh, as I don't like things sticking in my ear. But other than that, I mean, Apple's everywhere, right? And so I got thinking, what would happen if, if we had invested, you and I had invested in Apple? We went way back to 1994. About, two, about a third of the room's like, 1994, was there even electricity then? You know, I know some of you are thinking that. Um, you know, go way back in time. Now, I, I want to make this like real for you, real for those of you in the room. If we could go back to 1994 to the day, are you ready for this, that Forrest Gump came out at the movies, all right? All right, that, that was in 1994. Now, how many of you remember that? Okay. All right, I was in 10th grade. All right, I was in 10th grade. So imagine this, that you could go back in time, it's the day Forrest Gump is coming out, and here's what you did. Instead of going to the movies and buying a large popcorn, you figured out a way to get $1,000 together, and you invested in Apple. Okay? Now, I know that's ridiculous. All right? It was my favorite thing. Like I love reading these answers. What would you tell your younger self? I'd tell them, invest in Microsoft. Yeah, you, okay. You know what your younger self would say to you? With What? Right? That's probably, I mean, like most of us in the room in 1994, we couldn't put $1,000 together if we'd have tried. Right? Been like a thousand, might as well have been a hundred million. Right? But let's just say somehow you did it. Instead of going to the movies that day, it was going to cost you about a thousand dollars for that large popcorn. You were like, no Forrest Gump, Apple. And you put a thousand dollars, invest that in Apple. You didn't put any more money. You didn't keep investing. Just one time, $1,000 today. If you'd done that, tomorrow you could get up, call your financial advisor, you could go and cash that in, it would be roughly worth $545,000 today. $1,000 in 1994 in Apple would be worth over a half a million dollars today. Um, and so, you know, maybe, that's what you think, maybe you're like, if I go back in time, I'd go back and I would tell my younger self, invest in Apple. And I would say to you, your younger self will probably look at you and go, that doesn't make sense. Because see, here's the thing about finances. Finances always make more sense looking at them in reverse. Right? Like, if, if you were to do that, and not, if in 1994 somebody said, why don't you put $1,000 on Apple? You'd been like, there is no way I'm going to invest in a personal computer company. Why would anybody want a computer at home? Because in 1994, it just almost didn't make any sense to have that. Certainly, there was nobody thinking about a phone that you carry around in your pocket that would send emails and browse the internet. Like, that was unthought of, unheard of. And if somebody had told you, if your older self, if your, if your future self had come and told you that, you'd been like, well, I must have eaten like real bad pizza last night, and I'm having the, worst, the dumbest dreams ever, right? Because the, the thing about finances is this. When it comes to investments, they always make more sense today than they did the day that you should have invested, right? And as I began to think about this idea of what I would tell my younger self, 
And, 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 and what I would, related to finances, what I would want my younger self to know is I found myself saying, what we really need to do is we have this conversation with our younger self about how to spend your money, right? And, and, and look, you may be thinking, Matt, who are you to tell me how to spend my money? I mean, what do you know? I mean, well, let me remind you. I'm, I, I know how to, I'm real good at spending money. Don't, let, don't forget, I'm the guy about this time last year spent 50 bucks on a scooter tank. I found on the internet... I mean, now granted, it did turn out to be a pair of Chinese earrings, but I mean, I, I got this money thing figured out, like how to spend money, pretty good at it, right? And, and, and some of you are probably sitting here, and if you're a guest with us, you may be thinking this, and, and I just want to address the elephant in the room. You may be like, well, this is the very reason right here why I don't come to church. And by the way, if I decide to ever mock you, I tend to do it in a very southern redneck accent. I don't know why. I do that. I just caught myself doing that. It's like, you, you may be hearing, like, I, that's the very reason I don't come to church right here, because all they want at church is your money. All they want to do is talk about money. So let me just address that just real quickly. If this is your first time with us, making it your only time with us, then it turns out that every time you've ever come to Life Point, we've talked about money. If you've been coming for a while, this turns out to be the first time we've talked about money in about five years, all right? And you may be thinking, well, churches just always want my money. Well, not necessarily this one. And by the way, when you do give us your money, we tend to try to find very creative ways to give your money away. I mean, we're just kind of built that way. We just, we, we love to give money back to our community. We give it away. And, and just kind of dress the elephant in the room, somebody would be like, well, yeah, but I mean, you work here, Matt. I mean, we assume you've got a salary here. You'd be right to assume that. Quentin's got a salary. You got, you'd assume that to be right. Your assumption would be right. And Todd and Tammy and Lynn, I mean, there's a bunch of people staff. And you may be thinking, well, you just want us to give more money so you make more money. Well, let me, let me just address that elephant in the room. Turns out we don't work on commission. <laughs> We're not salesmen. We don't, we don't get in there on Monday, count it all up, and be like 3% to you, 2% to you. There's multiple reasons why we don't do that. We could do that today, be beneficial. About 14 years ago, <laughs> it would not have been a great plan. All right, there'd have been some weeks it was like, well, let's all work together and figure out how we can split $283 nine ways, right? Uh, and, and by the way, just so you know, we have a stewardship team here that, that works with our elders to establish all of our salaries. You are welcome to go and talk with any of our stewardship team about kind of how, um, how we disperse funds around here. And what you'll find is that, that every staff person here makes less than the average for a church our size. Nobody complains about it. We're not here to ask. I'm not telling you that so you feel sorry for us. Uh, we just make it a high priority around here that people here serve here out of calling and not out of salary. Uh, in fact, I'm about 99% convinced that if things got really tough and we had to cut salaries, even if we cut them to nothing, I'm not sure we'd lose a single person here. Um, it's just kind of uh, it, the, the culture around here is uh, we, we're very thankful that you guys bless us to be able to do this. Uh, full-time, but it, you, the salary is not the reason we do it. We do it because we love you. We love what we're doing here, and we have a great time. And I'm not here to preach, try to get the money to go up. There's never been a season in LifePoint's history that has been more blessed financially than it is right now. Uh, we, we exist in this. Our organization exists with margin. Um, you guys give more than we spend and allow us at the end of every year to try to figure out how to sow more into our community. It is truly the honor of our lives to be able to serve uh, beside and with each one of you. And this message has nothing to do with getting 
the offering up. Here's what it has something to do with. I think that one of the deepest regrets that people have, particularly when they come to the end of their life, or at times when they look back in their life, is they regret the way that they have spent their money. Uh, I seldom meet anybody. I'll just be honest with you. I seldom meet anybody who says to me, let me tell you what, I've been real good with money my whole life. I mean, in fact, Matt, got this vault at the house. Every day, I've, I've like turned all my money into pennies. I'm just swimming in it. Can't even figure out what to do with all this money I got. us going there like Scrooge McDuck and just swimming my vault all the time. Uh, actually, quite the opposite is what I hear more times than not. I hear people talking about this, that I have more month than I have money. Uh, I heard people say things like this. I just really wish that I had not gotten myself into the situation that I've gotten myself in, and I had the ability to be more generous. I hear people saying, I, I just... Man, I'm, I'm in a situation where I'm okay right now, but if anything goes wrong, it's just going to be a mess. I hear people older than me saying, I really wish I'd go back in time and have invested better and saved more because I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to retire. I don't even know if I can afford to retire. I guess I'm going to work until I die one day. And one of the common themes that I hear over and over and over and over again is if I could talk to my younger self, I'd have a conversation about how to do things differently and better financially. And so this morning, I want to talk about money because it seems to me it's something that we all feel like we could get a little bit better at. And I think that there is a very valid strategy we can find in the pages of Scripture that define how we can spend our money better. So maybe you're here and you're like, man, I, I need that. And, and, and maybe you've already taken out your phone or a notebook and you're like, I'm going to make a few notes because I need to get better at this. And, and here's what I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you to write down this question and try to find a way to answer it sometime today. How am, what am I going to do to spend my money better? Okay, so you write that down. How can I spend my money better? Once you've written that down, I want you to look at me. I want you to listen very deeply. Your problem is not in figuring out how to spend your money better. Your problem is you need to get a better perspective about money. You see, uh, I bet you you're pretty good at spending money. Bet that's not what you need to get better at. I bet what you need to get better at is a perspective about what money is, what money should be used for, and whose money it is actually. Let me show you a verse of scripture I found to be very interesting. It's found in the book of Psalms, actually. In Psalm 24, the psalmist says this, The earth is who? The Lord's. Because the earth, this place where you live, it's the Lord's. And the what? The fullness thereof. Now let me give you a little redneck translation. Everything you see is mine, is what God would say. God says the whole world and everything in it, it's all mine. Why? Because the world and those who dwell therein, he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The psalmist says, I've taken a census. I've done a P&L. Right? I've done inventory of the entire world. And here's what he says. Here's what I've come to, here's what I've come to realize. When I inventory the whole world, and I did some columns... 
I put six billion columns for everybody on planet Earth. I put an extra column for God. He said, here's what I found. God owned everything, and the six billion people on planet Earth owned nothing. Everything in the world is the Lord's, and everything in it is the Lord's. The people, the stuff, the houses, the cars, the money, the things, the trees, the plants, the fish, the birds. It's all God's. And the first step, if you go back in time, you could talk to your younger self, and you're going to have a conversation about finances. The most important thing you can go and tell your younger self is this. You need to look them right in the eyes and say, ain't nothing yours. You say, well, wait a minute, man. I don't know if I like that or not. Okay. I mean, I'm good with that. I get it. I'm not sure I like it either. So I don't know if I like that. Do you know how hard I work? I don't, but I can imagine. In fact, most people I know work pretty hard. I mean, the, the vast majority, you're like, well, you don't know everybody. I don't know everybody, but the vast majority of people, especially people who have things, it's usually the reality that they work pretty hard. But see, the effort that you have that has resulted in what you've accumulated is not what determines who owns what you have. We're told that God founded it upon the seas, established it upon the rivers. In other words, when God said, let there be, he declared at that moment that what was to be would be his. It's all his. And then what God does is, is God then gives us abilities. He gives us efforts. He gives us time. He gives us a job. And I realize that that's like so foreign to some of you. Some of you are like, wait a minute now. I went to school, built the resume, turned it in, nailed the interview, got the job. Nope. It's just the way you saw it. So here's what really happened. God decided that he wanted you to have that job at this time. So he declared that a reality. And you went to school because God ordained for that to happen. He gave you the intellect. You nailed the interview. You've worked out your resume. And God went, look at that, my perfect plan coming into fruition. God declared that, that would happen. You just were part of the process. And now you have a job and your heart beats and your lungs take in oxygen and expel carbon dioxide and you give effort and God just blesses. And you say, well, he gives some more than he gives me. Sure does. He gives some less than he gives you too. And God, you say, well, what determines that? I have no idea. My thoughts are not God's thoughts. His ways are not my ways. I, his, who can understand the mind of God? Certainly not me. I don't know why some people are blessed with more and some people are blessed with less. I have no idea, but here's what I know. Whatever they have, whether it's a whole bunch or a whole little, it's all God's. It's all God's. You say, why, why does that matter? Why does that matter that it's all God's? Well, see, the most fundamental thing that you should be able to teach yourself and tell yourself about your finances is that none of it is yours. Because once you realize that none of it is yours, it puts you in a position to appropriately view the resources that you have in your life. You see, as long as they're yours, then you need to be the one to make the decision on how to spend it. As long as it's yours, you can do whatever you want with what you have. You could be a nice person and be like, well, I mean, after I, after I like, pay for my house and my cars and my food and my kids' stuff and all the, you know, electricity's pretty nice, Matt, and, you know, water, that's good. Utilities, not HVAC, 
Matt, you know we got to have air conditioning. I mean, except this time of year. Then we got to have heat. I mean, all that stuff's good. But hey, listen, I'm a nice person. After all that's done, I mean, whatever's left over, I'm going to try to find some cool things to do with it. And you know as well as I know that if you try to do good things, God things, and kingdom things with the leftovers, what you find out is there's no leftovers. You know why there's no leftovers? Because if it's your money, you might as well spend it all. I mean, after all, you earned it. You own it. That makes a lot of sense. But when you begin to understand that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and whatever I have, I have out of the goodness of a heavenly Father who decided to bless me, and God has generously given me something, and if he's given this to me, then the natural question to be asked is, what do you want to, me to do with what you've given me? And see, I, I grew up in a church culture that said that 10% belonged to the Lord. You give 10%, I mean, it's called a tithe. Some of you are church people. You've heard that word before, tithe. You don't find it much in the New Testament. But, it, it, I, I mean, 10% is the Lord. See, that's the problem. No, 10% is not the Lord's. 100% is the Lord's. See, that, that was the problem with it. Look, you could give 10% to the Lord and still live disobediently. You're like, really? Absolutely. Because God's as interested in what you do with the other 90 as he is what you do with the first 10. In fact, in fact, Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, kind of made it clear what our perspective should be. He says, this is how one should regard us. This is how people ought to think about us. This is how we should think about ourselves. That we are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And then Paul said this, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. I want to help you understand that a little bit. You know, steward is not a word that we use very much. In fact, I was thinking the other day, where have I, do I remember seeing the word steward? I remember going to First Baptist Church, Oxford, to Vacation Bible School as a kid, like six years old, and every light switch had a little sign beside it that said, be good stewards, turn off the lights when not in the room. I thought that's what it meant. I thought a good steward, somebody turned off the light as they walked out the door. For a long time, I was like, I guess that's what stewards do. They go around and turn off switches. I was like, my dad would make a great steward. he just turn off light switches all the time, right? And uh, that's all I thought it was. But it turns out it's not what a steward is. A steward is not a person that just turns out lights, all right, when they're not being used. So steward is another word for manager. In fact, in our culture, I would say manager is a much better word in this situation than a steward. You see, here's what a manager does. A manager doesn't own anything, they take responsibility for what someone else owns and they manage it well, or at least a faithful steward would manage it well. So you imagine if there's an owner, maybe this owner has either property or money or stuff or a service or products, whatever. They own something. And, and perhaps they own so much that they, they can't keep all of their stuff managed. So they hire different managers to take care of it. And they basically hand them a portion of what they own. And they say, your responsibility is to take care of this. And so you go and take care of it. You manage it, whatever that means. You take care of it. You, you keep it in good working order. You, you invest it. You try to grow it, whatever it is. You're managing it. And everything is fine. And it really doesn't matter what you do until there's accountability. When one day the owner comes back and goes, hey, I, I, we need to sit down and I, I'm going to pull some P&L sheets, some profit and loss sheets. 
and we're going to look at the P&Ls. I want to determine how good of a manager have you been? Now, imagine, if you will, that that's what God did in your life and in my life. I mean, imagine one day you're sitting at home, and there's a knock on the door, right? You're like, well, that's interesting. I don't know why they didn't ring the doorbell, but okay. At least my dogs didn't bark, so you go to the door. Open up the door, and there's Jesus. And you're like, Jesus? He's like, yeah. You're like, what are you doing here? He's like, well, I thought we'd come by, have a little talk about what kind of job you've been doing as a manager. You're like, what? I mean, all my stuff, all the stuff I own that I've given you and let you manage, I just thought we'd stop by and kind of go over P&L, see how things are going. Now, seriously, are you really excited at this point about Jesus coming to go over P&L with your stuff? Like, I don't know. Maybe you are. Maybe you're like, well, I've been waiting on you to get here, Jesus. You're going to give me a promotion. Or maybe you're like most people in the room, you're like, um, I mean, how's like, how's like December 29th of like 2074 sound to you, Jesus? I think that's my next opening, right? It's what some of us are going to be doing. It's like, wait a minute. I didn't know this was going to happen. And Jesus comes in, sits down with you and goes, hey, I mean, boy, this is, this is a nice house, Matt. Pretty nice, pretty nice place. You, pretty nice place I got here, Matt. I'm letting you live in. I mean, like, how are you using this to advance my kingdom? And I noticed a couple of vehicles out in the driveway there. Pretty nice. I mean, I sure do like my truck. Hope you like driving it around. I mean, what, what, how are you using that to fund the kingdom? And if you don't mind, Matt, would you, would you run and go grab the bank statement real quick? Holler at your financial planner and see if you can get your retirement account real quick, too. I'd like to kind of look over that, see how we're doing. Like, well, I mean, Jesus, is this really any of your business? Well, I mean, yeah, man, it's all mine. And I've, I've let you for now 44 years manage. I just see what kind of job you're doing. I mean, can you imagine Jesus coming by and having that conversation with you? And, and ultimately, it's what Jesus would want to know. He would remind me over and over, Matt, it is required of managers that they be found faithful. You see, let me, let me tell you what I don't think Jesus is going to have a conversation with. Boy, Matt, you sure have done a good job of hoarding up some money where you go check on, look up your, look into your online banking every now and then feel good about yourself. Not, not that I actually do that. I, would, I think that would be a great, I mean, like the greedy person in me, and I want you to know, naturally, I'm a very greedy person. I'll just be honest with you, like, I'm, I am, I, I'm horribly greedy. Left of my own flesh, I just want to hoard stuff. Like, I, I would love to wake up every day and just get on online banking. Like, look at you, Matt. Woo! Jennifer is lucky to have you. Which, I mean, she is. But, you know, anyway. <laughs> They're like, look at you. Like, that would be awesome to me. It would be awesome to me. But you know what? I don't think, I don't think that Jesus is going to look at my bank account and be impressed. You know why? Because it's his. <laughs> you think this is good? Man, trillions of dollars pass hands every day. It's all mine. You're, <laughs> you got more numbers after the decimal than before. Some of you get that later. I don't think he would look at my house and be like, wow, 
I stopped by and talked to one of your neighbors. They say, you got the nicest place on the block. Look at you. Aren't you something special? You know what you ought to do, Matt? Add on, get you some stainless steel appliances. You know what look real good? Granite countertops. Oh, no, no, quartz. All of a sudden, the things that we find value in just almost seem silly, don't they? Stuff we'll pat ourselves on the back about, now we realize that Jesus we want to have a conversation about. Because what he wants to know is not how much is there and how nice it is. He wants to know this. Have I found you faithful? So what does that mean, Matt, faithful? Let me ask you this. What in your finances requires you to believe that you serve a God who rose from the dead? I mean, you doing anything that just some regular old person who doesn't even believe God exists could do? Or is there something about the way you steward and manage your resources that suggests that you believe your God walked out of a grave? Well, so let me tell you something. What motivates me more than my greed is the realization that God walked out of a grave and there's got to be somebody still left on this planet that hasn't heard it and maybe some dollar that I give or use will inspire somebody to go to that part of the world and share that story with that person. You see, as a naturally greedy person, let me tell you what I have found in my life to be true. When I cling to my stuff and I try to find satisfaction in what I can get, attain, purchase, enjoy, it leads to misery. Because with everything you get, you find that it only satisfies for a second and you just got to get something else. And you constantly find yourself like, how do I get? 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 It's miserable. You know what generosity does? Generosity opens up your hands. It says, none of it's mine. It frees you to live with joy instead of misery. To say, God, what can you do with what you've blessed me with? Several years ago, it's probably been a decade now, <laughs> I had this great idea. It's probably more than a decade. By the way, you start a church and you're 28 years old, you're going to do dumb stuff. And just to be fair, I'm 44 you should expect me to do dumb stuff again. I mean, it's just, it's, it's every week we go that I don't, it just makes the next one more likely, all right? But I had this idea. We were going to talk about money one morning. So I called this friend of mine. I said, you going to be at church this morning? He's like, yeah. I said, you got 300 bucks? He said, yeah. I said, I need you to bring it, shake my hand, give it to me, don't ask any questions. He said, okay, I can do that then. Can I ask a question now? And I was like, sure. He said, am I going to get it back? I said, most likely. It's a good possibility. So he does. He shows up, gives me three $100 bills, shakes my hand. Nobody sees it. I go and found three random people, and I hand them each 100 bucks. And they're like, what are you doing with this? I said, I'm loaning it to you for a minute. At some point during the service, I'm going to make an announcement, and I'm going to ask for it back. When I do, I want you to get up as fast as possible, walk to the front, and bring it to me. They're like, okay. So I get up and start talking, not saying anything about money, just talking, telling a story, and I went, Oh, man, what, what's today's date? And somebody hollered out the date, and I went, 
oh, you're never going to believe this. I'm sorry. Y'all know, you know, I get distracted. I forgot to pay my truck payment yesterday. It was due Friday. I forgot to pay it. I don't have the money to pay it. I said, but it's only $300. There's surely there's three people here be willing to give me 100 bucks. I mean, if there's three people here to give me 100 bucks, would you jump up right now and bring it to me? If those three people jumped up, run to the stage, brought me 100 bucks, I stuck it in my pocket and kept talking. 17 people went right out the back door. We hadn't seen them at LifePoint since. <laughs> I thought it was a great idea. After about five more minutes of people not even, I mean, nobody's even listening to anything I said. I said, hey, I know y'all are still dumbfounded that I asked somebody to pay my truck payment. I said, let me tell you the rest of the story. I said, I gave each one of those people 100 bucks right before they walked in here. Told them when I asked for it back to bring it up to the stage. I said, so when I asked for it back, guess what they did? They brought the stage. You know why? It wasn't theirs. It was mine. So when I asked for mine back, they didn't have a problem bringing it. You know why you struggle with generosity if you do? Because you think it's yours. So when God asks you for it, you're like, why do I want to give what's mine? And there's resistance. And you go back and talk to your younger self and you tell your younger self, hey, I just want you to know you don't have anything. It's all God's. When you can gain the perspective that everything you have is God's, when God subtly, in a still small voice, asks for some of it back, you don't have a problem bringing it because you know it ain't yours anyway. I, I struggle with greed. I, I told you that. I'm blessed to have a wife who doesn't, who give away anything. And I love the way the Holy Spirit often uses her in my own life. And she'll come home and say, man, let me tell you about a story. And, and she'll say, I, what do you think? She'll tell me a story. What do you think? I think we need to give that person a couple of hundred bucks. You, you know what I do? I, never anymore do I go, have you really thought this through? They'll probably just go buy alcohol with it. They just want drugs. Maybe they should have worked a little bit harder. These are all the excuses I used to give. Until one day I realized none of it's mine anyway. So now I just go, yeah. I think that sounds like a great idea. Or, you know, you're out pumping gas. Somebody gets $10 worth of gas. Gas is $4 a gallon. If they're getting $10 worth of gas, I promise you. Something's, something ain't right in that story. You hear the Lord go, won't you go fill up their gas tank with gas? Used to be like, with my money? Whatever. Now it's like, oh yeah, that's yours anyway, God. Maybe you're sitting and you're thinking, Matt, that's, that's really cool for you, but I mean, you probably, you, you, you probably got lots of money. Well, I want to be honest with you. You're, you're kind of right about that a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying my family is rich. I mean, we really are. We're rich. We're not wealthy, we're rich. You see, the richest people in the world are not the ones that have the most. They're the ones who need the least. And we got more than we need. And we figure that the more, the more we got, the, the, the gap between what we need and what we have, we think is opportunity for generosity. And you may be thinking, I sure would like to live that way. Well, I would say to you, it's, it's, it's not too late. You see, the same principle that you go back and tell your younger self would be a great thing to tell yourself in the mirror today. None of it's yours. And because you've lived this far in life, maybe thinking it is yours, you may have saddled yourself with so much debt that you can't afford to be 
generous. Today is a great day to begin to solve that problem. You say, Matt, do you think all debt's bad? I don't. I don't think all debt's bad, but if we took away, if we, if we didn't count mortgage debt just in the people that attend LifePoint today, chances are in consumer debt, credit cards and your phones and your devices and your clothes and your cars and your furniture and those nice houses that you've bought. When they'll loan you money on anything now, chances are because you're average normal people. Just in the people that attend LifePoint, there's probably 10 to $20 million worth of debt potentially that's, that's noticed by, I mean, that's, that's assumed by the people who just attend LifePoint on a regular basis. And you say, Matt, do you think all debt is bad? I'm not going to go that far, but I'm going to tell you what debt is bad. Any debt that keeps you from being able to live generously, that when the Lord says, I need you to sow this into the kingdom, and you say, I can't afford it, it's bad. I don't care if that's your home costs you too much, your vehicles are costing you too much, you got too much credit card debt. I don't care what it is. If you're living in such a way that you can't give back to the Lord what he's asking that's already his, you are living in a way that is irresponsible. And when the owner says, I'd like to get an assessment of how, what, how well you're being faithful, it is not going to be favorable for you. You see, I think it'd be a shame to get to the end of your life and be broke. Live your whole life and not even have any money to be able to retire or, you know, fix a transmission when your car breaks. That's a terrible thing. Let me tell you what's worse. Stand before the God of the universe who sent his son to be born in a manger, to die on a cross, to redeem you, purchase your salvation, and to stand before that God and say, I did nothing to resource the kingdom. That's really what would be sad. You know how to avoid that? It's pretty simple, actually. If you want to, if you want to avoid that, this is what you do. Realize that we are stewards and not owners. You don't own it, you steward it. You manage it. Every day you ask the Lord, help me manage it a little bit better. You know some practical advice, what I think actually really does work very, very well? So an easy three-step process. When it comes to your resources, number one, give first. Give first. I don't care if that's 1%, 2%, 40%, 80%, 100%. Whatever you're going to do with your generosity, do that first. If you try to give, if you try to be generosity with leftovers, there'll never be leftovers. Be generous first. Give first. Save second. Give first and then give to yourself. Save second. And then spend the rest. Spend it responsibly, but spend the rest. Enjoy it. The Lord has provided it for you for enjoyment too. You know how I know that? Listen, some people are like, God doesn't want me to enjoy life. Yes, he does. He gave you taste buds. That's proof he wants you to enjoy things. Think about that. He didn't have to. If it was just about the mundane of life, he don't give you taste buds. You just eat whatever. You could be vegan and enjoy it. But he wants you to enjoy life. Spend the rest. Give first. Be generous. Save second. A transmission may go out. And then spend the rest. Enjoy it. A couple of years ago, I, I made this offer, and I'll make it again today. If you're like, man, I don't know. I don't know how I can afford it. I, I, I want you to do this. I want you to go home. I want you to determine a percentage to give. It does not have to be 
You could give 10% and still live disobediently as possible. Just go home and look at your salary, look at your income, take a percentage of it. Start with 1%, 2%, 5%, whatever you want to do. I want you to go and get on discoverlifepoint.com backslash give and set up a recurring gift for that percentage monthly. I want you to do it for three months, January, February, March, into March. You reevaluate your life. You get to look at that and go, this is the dumbest thing I have ever done in my life. Matt totally steered me in the wrong direction. I should have never done that. You come and see me personally. You tell me that. Come and tell me on a Sunday. That following day, I'll get online. I'll print out a report of January, February, March. I'll take it to our bookkeeper, Natalie, and I'll have her write you a check for everything you've given for that three months. We'll give it back to you. It's a money-back guarantee. You say, Matt, why would you do that? What's the point in that? I believe in the principles of Scripture enough to base our finances at LifePoint on it. I don't believe that giving is a burden. I think it's a blessing. I think it will revolutionize the way you live your life. When you can quit living like this, grip into everything that you think is yours, and you start living this way, open-handed, telling the Lord, God, as you bless me, I'm going to bless others. As you give, I'm going to give, and I'm going to be cheerful about it. We, we, we got Christmas coming up. The things I'm the most cheerful about that our family has done is not the stuff that we're going to open up underneath the tree this year. It's the stuff that we've given away to other people. It's the most, the most enjoyable stuff we do. I want that for you. I want you to understand the joy of being a steward and not thinking you're an owner. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for your word. God, thank you that you teach us to give because you gave first. You loved us so much that you gave your only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You're the greatest giver ever. God, you've asked us to be stewards. So God, my prayer is that you would make us better stewards. Help us to manage your stuff better. If you're here this morning, you've never placed your faith in Jesus. We'd invite you to do that. You can do that by simply praying and inviting him into your life. Just pray in your heart and say, Lord, I trust you. I believe what you did on the cross was enough for me, and I place my faith in your finished work on the cross. You have a card somewhere near you. If you prayed and invited Jesus into your life, I'd love to know about it. Take that card. Give me your name and a phone number. Check on there that you received Christ as your Savior today, and somebody will call you tomorrow and talk about the next step. God, thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom and to be managers of your kingdom. In Jesus' name.